Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm You are back in the House of Mystery for another action pack adventure. Avenger, not adventure. Yeah. Um, this is Al Warren, of course, and uh, that's uh, Sidecar Martino. <laughs> Uh, right, shotgun. Boss. Yeah, shotgun. Yeah, he's yeah he's the gun drinking <laughs> man, right? I forget about that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, and and we've got a new guy that's been uh, joining us. That's um, you know he was a very interesting guest, and so we had to bring him along. And now he's kind of hanging through. And he's our southern <laughs> reporter. He's known as D.W. Gillespie. But we call him Dusty. Yes, reporting from the uh, the front lines of the. Uh... <laughs> the Mason Dixon line. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Well, it, it won't be long. Something will be going on down there. You, you, <laughs> you're paid to watch, so just watch. You never know. See what's coming by your window any day now. So, um, well, today we'll jump into it because we've got a guest here that's uh, waiting on the line, and uh, he's uh, got an interesting lineup of books. Um, let's just bring him in, Mr. Stuart Gibbs. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, fantastic. Um, let's see now. Um, your newest book, Spy School, the graphic novel. Um, before we get into that, I have to say, um, how did you get into writing novels for for kids? Uh, well, uh, that was not my intention. I, I, my, I had always wanted to be an author, uh, but I... Uh, had thought that I would be writing uh, for adults, and uh, I I tried uh, throughout uh, many many years of trying to publish for adults, and uh, had kind of uh, set that aside for a while. And uh, the whole book world, I, w- I was working in the movie business, and uh, at some point uh, about now maybe thirteen years ago. Uh, all the writers went on strike. And so I uh, reached out to my agency and said, could I talk to someone uh, in the book division? And so they put me in touch with uh, an author, uh, I'm sorry, an agent named Jennifer Joel. Uh, And Jennifer called me up and said, hey, have you ever thought about writing middle grade fiction? And it seems kind of nuts because up until that very moment, I had not. And then I thought about it and I thought, oh my gosh, I have all these ideas that would actually work really well uh, if I if I wrote them uh, as middle grade and and the very first one was a uh, 
was a mystery set at a zoo uh, involving a murdered hippopotamus, uh, which I thought that uh, would be investigated by a young zoo vet. But I, but I, but then I realized, hey, this is a great crime for a kid to solve because uh, you know sometimes when kids are solving crimes in books, you're thinking, why is this kid not going to the police? And I figured, well, he could go to the police and say somebody murdered the hippo and they're not going to take him seriously. So then he's going to have to investigate himself. So that was uh, sort of the beginning of of, uh, of that whole journey. Uh, I actually, my, my son was two at the time, so I thought, oh, great. If I, if I write a book for him, uh, he'll be able to read it in, in you know, five or six years and not 18 years. Uh, and and uh, so I thought maybe I'd be, I write one middle grade and that's now turned into something like 25 of them. That you're, you're, the path that, that you're describing is uh, almost scary compared to like where I'm at right now because I've been writing horror fiction for, you know, forever at this point. And I'm, I've written two middle grade kind of scary books. And um, one of them is, you know, I'm getting some traction on it right now. So it's pretty exciting. And one of the things that I'm dealing with is a good question for you is when you made that transition from writing for adults to writing for kids, was it an easy, seamless transition? Did, did you kind of catch yourself having to, to go back and rewrite some things and be like, eh, maybe that was more adult than it should have been? Uh, you know, when, when I didn't ever want to write down uh, to, to the kids. Uh, and uh, so I, uh, you know, there, there were a few things uh, that you would write for adults. It wouldn't necessarily write for kids, but, but uh, you know, again, to go back to belly up um, in, in one of the early drafts, I hadn't included something uh, that, that uh, hippos do that I thought was funny. They do something called dung showering, where they basically spray a field of, of poo and use their tails <laughs> like a little windshield wiper and just, you know, take out anybody close by. And I was talking to my editor, and I described this, and I said, I don't know if this is the sort of thing I should be writing about for children. And he said, that's exactly the sort of thing you should be writing about for children. <laughs> and so I was kind of like, all right, I found my level. This is great. Uh, so... Um, so there's, there's not too many topics that I can't touch, uh, for kids, really. That's what Dave does, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have to. Uh, so, so what, what do you set out for a goal when you're, when you're writing that one of these spy books, uh, for kids, what is it you are trying to get across to the kids? Oh, God. I mean, I'm just really trying to provide them uh, a, a good uh, story. And, a, a, you know, I mean, I guess when I'm writing for kids, I'm still trying to write something that I would enjoy reading uh, either to my kids or just as an adult on my own. Uh, so, uh, you know, I I don't have a tremendous agenda in a lot. I, the, I, I do uh, like to talk about threats to the environment in, in some of my books or, or to specific uh, animals. But I, you know, a big part of I think if if I was going to have like one message in all the books, uh, it would it would kind of be uh, that you know there's no shame in being smart. Uh, that's what I've always loved about mysteries, right? They're 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 stories where the smartest person wins. Uh, but a lot of the time, the way that a really smart person is depicted uh, on television or the movies is is this sort of social misfit, like the, the idea you can't be really smart without having something slightly off about you. And that's not how smart people really are in real life. The, the really smart people I know are adventurous and dynamic and athletic and often very very funny. And so I wanted to have. Uh, characters like that in my books and, and have heroes who are respected for being smart and who, uh, you know, uh, won friends and, and, and admiration of, of other people for their, for their intelligence. Well, do you need to get into a certain headspace to write for children? Do you have to kind of, I guess, uh, kind of get into the mind of a child to, to write stories for children? Uh, a little bit, if, especially writing first person, you've, you've got to sort of, you know, uh, like I, I, I can write uh, for, you know, like a protagonist who's, who's a young boy because I, I was a young boy. Mm. Uh, my, my, uh, my daughter would tell me that I still behave like a child. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, I, you know, to, to, I have a series, Charlie Thorne, Charlie's a girl, and I, I didn't want to do that one in first person because I, I didn't really want to presume 
what was going through the mind of a, of a 12 year old girl, but I can, I, I have a pretty good idea of what a 12 year old boy is thinking uh, a lot of the time. So, uh, but it is a bit of, you, you do have to sort of age yourself down a little bit. Think like, what was I thinking when I, when I was this age or what would I have thought was cool? Uh, what would I have, uh, how would I have dealt with a bully? Uh, how would I have dealt with um, being in danger? And uh, you know, I, but uh, because uh, that's actually a point in life where you you can still pretty much remember being twelve. It's not like being five or something. It, it's it's not the most difficult thing to to uh, put myself in a kid's uh, the, the mind of a twelve or thirteen year old boy. I, I have a problem remembering what day it is. <laughs> just just saying, you know. I, so when you were writing for adults and you were doing kind of if you're writing more of an adult crime fiction or something like that do you find that the characters you create for your books are completely different like do you do you feel about them differently uh well gosh it's been so long since i you know i i uh, i mean i i think you know your your protagonist your uh you know like if, if you're writing you know a 12 year old i i do try to make my my 12 year olds maybe a little um, more uh, uh, erudite than a, than a normal twelve year old might be, and, and speaking a little closer to how I might speak as an adult. Uh, but uh, I think uh, that you know beyond uh, uh, like if, if you if you've got somebody who's trying to solve a mystery, you're still going to have that sort of same uh, righteousness of like I've got to solve this crime, and uh, you know, uh, uh, or or uh, interest in. Um, uh, uh, like the 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 um, the world of where that crime is taking place, uh, and and so I I don't know that um, my my a twelve year old is that far off from say I, I, like is a twelve year old really different from a, a fifty year old Yeah, is a twelve year old that different from somebody who's in their early twenties? Maybe maybe not that much, right? Um, uh, like when when I read the Spy School series. Uh, I have this idea that that Ben, who's my hero, Ben Ripley, uh, who's sort of been thrust into this kind of James Bond world or, or a world where all he really knows about spying is James Bond movies and Mission Impossible movies. And then, and then finds out the world doesn't really work like that. Uh, he He's often having the same reactions that I think I would have in that scenario. So if if somebody hands Ben a grappling hook and says, you know how to use this, don't you? Ben's response is nobody knows how to use a grappling hook. That's not, there's no grappling hook section at target, right? There's, uh, uh, and, uh, and so whether or not he's 12 or he's, or, or he's an adult like me, like that reaction is going to be pretty much the same. Right. Yeah, certainly, certainly would be. What's the, what's the premise behind spy school? Like you've got a series of these books. What is spy school? So my school, is, the idea is that uh, um, Ben has been recruited to this the, the CIA's top secret academy of espionage, uh, which is a, a secret facility uh, to uh, train uh, the spies of tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of my conceits in, in the book is that, um, you know, it sounds really cool, but then you realize that uh, really uh, a government-run school is everything you hated about school and the government combined. Uh, and uh, Ben uh, finds out very quickly in the first book that he uh, hasn't even been brought in because he, he's qualified to get there. He's been brought in as bait to catch a mole. And he's really been kind of thrown to the wolves. And uh, it really needs to prove, uh, uh, he really needs to find the mole, not just to uh, prove that he belongs there, but also to stay alive. Uh, and uh, luckily, he he's able to team up with the best student in spy school, Erica Hale, uh, who uh, is is that's her family business is spying. They go all the way back to Nathan Hale and, uh, in the American Revolution. Uh, and uh, so Erica, uh, because uh, it, it, she's a legacy, is actually quite uh, quite adept at spying. And so she teams up with Ben to sort of figure out who the mole is and save the day. And then because of that success, that sort of lays the groundwork for them to go on more missions uh, throughout the series. The, the, the idea of the series is that normally uh, these young spies would not be going on missions, but uh, there's a set of uh, unusual cir uh, circumstances which have thrust men into going on one mission after another uh, throughout the course of the series. Well, I'm wondering, your latest uh, Spy School is a graphic novel. I'm just wondering how yeah. it was uh, for you to work with an illustrator. And in writing that, was it more like writing a movie script? 
It was, it was actually, uh, it's funny you should say that because, uh, I, I wasn't sure how one, uh, wrote the script for a graphic novel. So, uh, because it's so visual, I did just write the movie script version of the book. And, uh, and I handed that off to Anjan Sarkar, who, uh, is my uh, tremendously talented, uh, illustrator. And, uh, Anjan really took it from there. And, and he just, he did all the layout. He, he, uh, 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 he, he did every piece of illustration there with, with, uh, uh, really not that much, uh, uh I didn't need to give that much input. I, I was just pleased with everything he did. Yeah. I was going to ask, you kind of answered the question, uh, before I even got it out, but, but what was, what's the editing process look like when you have kind of a vision for a scene? Is it kind of just more on his shoulders to, to make that work? Um, you know, I was allowed into the editing uh, process. They they did send me, uh, you know, pages to to look at. Uh, it was my publisher. But what was actually really fascinating to me was that um, uh, the art director uh, at at my publisher, Simon Schuster, uh, Lucy Cummins, uh, w- was involved too. And Lucy is incredibly talented. She actually does all the covers for all my books, which is which is unusual for like usually she finds other people do it, and she's created this incredibly iconic spy guy for the cover of the spy school series. Uh, and so she was in on this giving notes on the pages and she was coming at it. I was really coming at it from a, sort of a literal storytelling thing. And Lucy was coming at it from a very visual standpoint and to see her notes, uh, which were so visual, uh, they were about things that would have never occurred to me. And so, uh, so I was usually just sort of rubber stamping Lucy's notes, saying like, "Oh gosh, that's really cool." Uh, the one thing I I think I I realized in looking was was the need for kind of establishing shots, and uh, that I hadn't really thought of when I was first uh, writing the the screenplay of the graphic novel was to say like, "Oh, let's have like sort of those." Which which I realized going back and looking at graphic novels and comics, it's pretty standard to sort of introduce. A setting. That's one of the fun things you can do with a graphic novel is, is have uh, this great big scene where you where you where you're showing a place and then sort of have the little uh, uh, speech bubbles coming out. Uh, you, so you can have a conversation going. You know, in a movie, you you can't really have a conversation uh, of two characters while you're showing an establishing shot. But it, but in a in a graphic novel, you can you you can have uh, the, you know, the big overview and then still have a conversation going on throughout it. And then, and then sort of use that as a little segue into, you know, get closer to the characters on the next, uh, in the next panel and get even closer on the next panel. So that was something I realized I could do, but for the most part, it was Lucy, uh, saying like, why don't you put two characters in this panel? Why don't you, uh, do this panel from more of an angle? And, and she was probably right, uh, most of the time, but it, it would never have been something I would have even thought to ask for. So what do you what do you do to keep up with the trends going on with children and kids and stuff like that? You know the music, what they wear, what they think is cool, because it's 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 quite different than what it was when we were kids. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the trend thing is is a little tricky because you know there's always this fear that if if you if you write something that's too of the moment, then uh, in four years it all seem dated, and uh, so. Uh, you know, I'm even, I, I, I do mention things like Twitter and Instagram, but I'm always a little wary of even doing that because I'm just thinking, gosh, you know, in a couple of years, that's not going to be uh, a thing. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm cautious to ever get too steeped into what's really going on right now. Uh, because, and of course, you know, as kids, they like, they have, you know, zero memory of anything that happened, uh, you know, particularly you know, farther, you know, if you're talking to a 12 year old and say like, okay, well, here's what 12 year olds like five years ago, that means like nothing to them. So, uh, so you really don't want to end up, um, uh, talking about a fad that's gone. So, uh, so you, you sort of look for things that you think like, okay, this is here to stay. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that, that, uh, mobile phones are not going anywhere anytime soon. So I can talk about those and, and, and certain apps or the fact that people play games on their phones, but I won't mention the specific game because, uh, you know, uh, that'll be gone uh, by the time the book comes out, possibly. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't take long. You know, 20 years, everything yeah. we're doing now will be completely different, I guess, as far as things like that, you right. know, phones yeah. and, and, and all of that yeah. stuff. And and 
how do you keep up with with kids and and, and how they think as in what they talk about or you don't really get that much into it well i, I mean i i you know i have a focus group in my own home because i i have <laughs> uh, i've got teenagers uh, who are, who are uh you know aging kind of out of that but but you know there's but it but it gives me a foot in that world and and i do talk to a lot of schools and uh, that's that's a huge part of of writing a middle grade, which nobody told me about when I started out. I, I found that out like even after the first book published that the publisher was like, okay, you're off to do school visits. And I was like, what, <laughs> um, what do I say? And they're like, I don't know, just say whatever you want to say. So, but now I've been doing this for years and, and that's actually a really good way to, to see what kids are into and what, what excites them. And, and, um, and, and my readers, uh, uh, write to me a lot. I, I they, they write uh, they write to me on my webpage. They, they I've got an email that they can just write to. Uh, they communicate. They do communicate through social media, and and that actually does give me a real window on. Uh, they they will suggest things and say like I think you know this is important. You ought to think about this. Um, they uh, you know I I don't really take suggestions from young readers, but if I do get the idea that there is, there's something in the zeitgeist that they are all really uh, thinking about, then, then I'll kind of be like, okay, that's important to them. That's, that's something I really need to consider. You mentioned earlier that, um, you know, your family kind of jokes that, that you're, you're the kid of the family. Um, and, and my family definitely does the same to me too. And I, I'm finding that as I'm moving into the middle grade stuff that it, it's, it's stuff that I loved when I was a kid. I'm just nat- it's a natural transition of like, hey, I like monster books, so I'm writing those for kids now. Were you into like spies and James Bond okay. and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything. I'm I'm the same boat as you. Everything I'm write I write about is something that fascinated me as a kid. So I loved James Bond movies as a kid. I I actually uh, read a lot of the James Bond. Now, I had that rude awakening. That's how I discovered that the book and the movie are often nothing alike uh, that, that through James Bond. Uh, I loved uh, animals and uh, going to the zoo. I loved, I, I loved space travel as a kid. I actually volu- I wrote to NASA and volunteered to be the first kid to go into space, uh, and I got rejected. Uh, but you know, they haven't sent a kid up. But, so I, but I'm writing about you know, that now. So, so just about anything I write about is something that fascinated me as a child. Yeah, and I still am fascinated by it. I, I haven't given up. I mean, you know, it, it stayed with me, and uh, so I, I just write about things that I'm like, okay, I think kids would find this really interesting. Hmm. It's interesting when you when you go to the the other set of novels you were doing, the Charlie Thorne one. You were saying that because the lead character is a girl, you don't you don't write it from first per- person. How do you how do you attack a book like that? How do you put that out? Well, well, I I did. Um, you know, for Charlie Thorne, I, I, I did by that point uh, want to do something in third person anyhow, because uh, I wanted to just tell the story differently and get to, you know, show what the bad guys were up to or, you know, just shift perspectives in the story a bit. Uh, but but to have a um, a 12 year old uh, girl, you know, I, I really did have to show it to uh, some some uh, some other women writers I knew and say like did did I get this character right and it was kind of fun to see what they would come back with like uh, I have a very good friend uh, who's an author named Sarah Mlanowski and Sarah said oh you should do something like you know she's she's got long she have long hair I'm like yeah she's like then then it's gonna get in her face all the time <laughs> like you know. Uh, you know, give her, you know, it's going to be important to, you know, that she has to have a scrunchie or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I never would have thought of that uh, if, if, uh, if I hadn't had this advice. But, but there's actually sort of like a running thing about, about her hair and getting a scrunchie as it goes on. So, so, you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, I wouldn't necessarily show my other books to a guy and say, hey, do you think I got this kid right? But but with uh, with with writing for uh, with a with a girl protagonist, I really felt I had to do that. Well, I'm wondering when when you're writing uh, dialogue for your characters, or even if you're writing a screenplay, I was wondering how you experience your characters. Do you do you have an inner monologue? Do you uh, do, can you hear your characters? Is that um, how you uh, write dialogue, or do you do it some other way? Oh no! I, I, yeah, I can really hear them. Um, I, uh, I, I like to, um, I like to have a general 
thought of where my conversation is going, but but I, I think that you know I have a very distinct idea of of how my characters speak and and uh, their their uh, their attitudes and and their takes on things. And so uh, I uh, sometimes I really do like to just get to the scene, and I and I, I haven't really I just know it needs to get from a. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To be to see, and I'll just sort of sit down and, and imagine, you know, how all the characters go. And, and so, like, the dialogue sequences haven't been that outlined beforehand. I'm just writing down how all the characters would react to each other and what they would say. And, and it can be, I mean, like, because I've gone down the road with a lot of these and I'm pretty far down in the series. Like I, uh, I can, you know, a lot of the time that it's, it's almost like a little improv scene in my head where the characters are saying different stuff. And, and I, uh, someone will, like, you know, one, I'll have one character say something and then I'll immediately uh, sort of real, like ad lib the answer from another character in my head and be like, oh, that's really good. That's exactly what that character would say now. Uh, and it's funny. I hope. I hope it's funny. <laughs> what do these characters tell you to do weird things? <laughs> well, every once in a while, I've had a, I've had a conversation sort of go in a weird direction. Uh, and, you know, but it's, it's kind of fun to see where it goes. And do I always use it? No, but, but sometimes uh, there's some stuff that's come up and I'm like, oh, man, I... I Right. It, it was only from that sort of imagining uh, their conversation in the moment that I got to that place. And, uh, it, and, and it, you know, so it can work out really well sometimes. So, so have you, I know you mentioned earlier the, uh, the, the hippo example. Have there been any circumstances where you've written a scene or, uh, you know, a, a dialogue or anything like that where the publisher kind of pushed back and said, you know what, that is too much for kids? <laughs> Well, oddly, to get to the graphic novel, there's a big difference between describing uh, a gun and showing a gun. Yeah. 
and uh, which would also come, which also came up as uh, Spy School has been back and forth in development as a movie, and the exact same issue came up there. And so you're constantly saying, well, what can, can I, you know, uh, you know, can we hear a gunshot? Can we, you know, see the little bursts of like, you know, as as bullets are hitting, you know, the ground? You know, that's fine. Uh, and and in both the movie and and the uh, and the and the graphic novel, there's. Uh, there, there's a scene at the end of the book where where the bad guy then has finally caught the mole and the mole has a gun trained on him, which is pretty standard in, in spy movies. And, and that was just not going to fly in uh, either the book or the movie. And so uh, I had actually been developing the movie first and I said, well, you know, what can I use instead of a gun? And they were like, well, how about a flamethrower? <laughs> it was like a flamethrower. Isn't it like a thousand times worse than a gun? Right? Like, like that's that's horrible what a flamethrower would do to somebody. And they're like, no, 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 flamethrower is fine. So in the graphic novel, I you know I gave the bad guy a flamethrower, and I can get a joke out of it, a couple jokes out of it later on. But but it's you know it, it's almost it's ridiculous that there's a flamethrower instead of a gun, and that's okay for kids, but it is. And uh, so that's been uh, uh, th- that is sort of a recurring issue uh, as. Uh, because now that I've done one spy school graphic novel, the, the rest of the books are all coming. And I, I just started working on the on sort of the script for the third uh, uh, book. And, and I, I was going through the book and I was like, oh, my gosh, there's so much gunfire in this book for kids that nobody ever said anything about. Uh, my hero never holds a gun, I should point out. he I, I, That was a conscious choice that I never wanted Ben. I actually made him terrible with a with a weapon so that like nobody even wants him anywhere near one but it was important to me that he he solve his problems by thinking his way through them instead of shooting his way out of them and uh so he never holds on so that wasn't a big issue but there's a lot of bad guys who have a lot of guns throughout the series and it's not really ever been an issue until now there's a um which my kids are young too so i, I see a lot of you know kids media that i probably wouldn't have otherwise but um, but that's some of the feedback that I've gotten too is is that it seems like the trend now you know when I, I grew up in the '80s and it was like the bad guy's the bad guy it's okay to use violence to stop them and it's the, and so now the trend is more like well the bad guy's misunderstood so they're actually good and isn't that okay let's 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 fix them instead of like you know taking them out right, you-, right. you know who I blame for this is 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 George Lucas because because uh, George Lucas did a whole prequel series for, for Star Wars to explain uh, uh, why Darth Vader was bad and uh, uh, and 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 actually, and my son, even at the end of it, was like, uh, "I don't understand why he's bad." <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, that's, that's like "But, but at some point, we were having a con- when he was younger, and he was like, you know, uh, Darth Vader really wasn't that bad a guy. Uh, you know, he he just had this like little period, and I was like, no, 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 he's the worst father ever. He, he was a terrible person, and." And the idea that George Lucas went back and say, "Yeah, he wasn't that bad." And here's how be, and, and now you just have this huge trend of movies saying, "Oh, here's you know, here's why Cruella Deville is bad, and and here's why the Joker's bad, and all this <laughs> yes. stuff." And you're like, "No, no, no, they were just evil." And I mean, like the actually, Patton Oswalt has a fantastic routine about uh, about like just give me what I want, just give me the bad guys, and don't tell me all of this. And so uh, he he compares it to. Uh, 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 like somebody uh, like George Lucas showing him how to make ice cream instead of just giving him the ice cream. Right? <laughs> it's like, I don't care about the rock salt and everything. Just give me the damn ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. I, I really do like just the bad guys, the bad guy. And, 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 and there's not, not that nuance is bad, but it's just interesting now that I'm headed that direction too, that I'm getting that same kind of feedback of like, well, could they have a, a different way to fix this problem besides, you know, taking out the bad guy? I'm like, sometimes the bad guy just needs to be taken out. Yeah. I know. I just, I, in spy school, I have a recurring bad guy and what I, I love writing him because he's just so happy to be bad. And, and I'm like, I'm never going to explain it. I'm never going to be, he just, he's like, he's in it for the money He's like he's just pointing out like how much an idiot anybody who's good is because they're you know they're just they're slogging away and they, they their benefits are terrible or whatever and he's just happy to be bad. I'm like I love writing that character because he's so. Much. But if anybody ever said, hey, could you explain 
Like what happened to him as a kid? I'd be like, no, I don't want to explain <laughs> that. I just want him to be bad. Well, I don't think you need that. You know, because when I was young, you had the, the you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle and all those things. Right. And they were just, they're just bad. Right. Yeah. No, there's so much fun, uh, you know, to, yeah, right. I mean, like, goodness knows if they ever, like, say, oh, we're going to remake Die Hard and show how, like, why Hans Gruber's a bad guy. They're like, no, that'd be terrible. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't and, want And to actually, I guess, uh, uh, right. I mean, the, the James, the, like, uh, the, the James Bond just went down that road with Blofeld and said, like, you know, okay, here, you know, oh, he was friends with James when he was little. And you're like, oh, no, don't, don't tell us why Blofeld is Blofeld. Just, just let him be a jerk. Yeah, yeah, I could. I don't want to see a a prequel for Rocky and Bullwinkle when they have no. Rocky in a room talking about how bad his father was. Right. <laughs> was right. no, you no. know, it's like no, it doesn't work. You don't need that. I think you no. just sort of have that that feeling of what it is of who's bad and that they do bad things, you know, and stuff. Or on that same line, do you have to worry about how how let's say how violent or how how you word things? I do, I do have to watch out for that, and and I you know I I don't really kill characters off, uh, it, or if, if they go, they sort of go in this sort of bloodless, like off-screen sort of version of uh, you know uh, for a book. Uh, I mean, I I I always like as a kid, I did always like the fact that there was like a character like Jaws in James Bond who just couldn't be killed. Uh, and, um, and no matter how ridiculous that was. And so I, I do have bad guys in the Spy School series who should have been dead like nine times over, but are not, because that's just funny to me. So, and um, and so, it, I, and, and it is odd because sometimes kids, I, will, I, will not, I won't ever hear this from adults, but kids will write to me and they'll be like, hey, uh, you know, I think it would be really uh, emotionally powerful if you killed off like one of the main characters and i'm like i am not doing that <laughs> uh, why do you think that like uh you know um uh so and i guess it, it does happen in in you know that there have been some uh, you know at least one major character in the in the harry potter series who who dies at some point but but i'm just like i i don't think it gains me anything to kill off anybody and and so even if somebody looks like they died there's always a relatively decent chance that they didn't really die I was going to ask too about is that it, when I think about something like Harry Potter where that did get darker and darker and yeah, yeah we're killing characters off for good and all that kind of stuff. It was almost like she was writing it. The characters were growing up as the readership was growing up. Did that happen in this series or were you kind of staying focused on the, the, the demo? I'm saying, you know, J.K. Rowling had just a really unusual uh, circumstance where her, her, uh, you know, her books just became a phenomenon as she was writing them. And and so she did sort of scale them up, you know, uh, every year and, and the books got darker and darker. But it, that actually makes that a relatively difficult. I, I know it's a super popular series, but but it was hard to get my kids into that series Um because the first one, which is a wonderful book, is written for so much younger a kid than the than the older books, and and she's really the only person who's ever done that. The, the, uh, um, even the really successful series, uh, like uh, for middle grade, like Diary of a Wimpy Kid or or Percy Jackson, just they they really all stayed in the middle grade world. And so even though I'm at uh, book ten now, or, or, or uh, book ten is coming. Uh, I my characters are staying relatively close to the same age, which means that uh, the adventures all have to happen within a couple of weeks of each other. Uh, they are aging. My kids are aging. They're not like the Hardy Boys, where somehow they're they're sort of trapped in amber and uh, never get any older. But um, but they're aging slowly, so that I can keep them in middle grade. What what kind of structure do you use, um, especially when you're writing a series like this? How do you keep this all? in your head is this all previously outlined you kind of know where you're going right through and kind of fill it in or like how does this work well i i didn't know this was going to be a series when i when i started and and it was joy to have the first book work out and and so get a second uh, series is getting more and more popular and and uh i uh I, I do love writing it, so it, it kind of, you know, like if I were to think like, oh gosh, book twenty, that seems like a lot. But I, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really worked out where it ends, but but generally, I'm I'm thinking about two books ahead. 
So when I'm when I'm working on one book, I'm I'm playing around with ideas for the for the next ones and and where it could go and and what could happen with the characters. Um, and I do have a a uh, you know a now quite a thick book bible, uh, which which is sort of keeping track of everybody. But but that said, uh, it, it's not a hundred percent. I mean, not. It's not right. The book Bible is accurate. My ability to use it isn't a hundred percent accurate. Um, so it, it does get harder and harder to keep track of everything as, as the story goes and every single thing that's happened, especially when I wrote some of the books, you know, uh, 10 and uh, nine, 10 years ago. <laughs> wow. That's great. It's quite the process here. So now you say you like to interact with people. How do you like to interact? Like what social media do you do? Are you on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok yet. No, no, that, that may, uh, that's, that's a little too trendy for me. Uh, I, you know, I'm sort of following because uh, my, my readers are young. And so they're really not supposed to be, you know, a lot of them are under 13 and are probably not supposed to be using a lot of social media. So, so a lot of them tend to be on Instagram, which uh, I think even that you're supposed to be 13, but I think a lot of people have fake accounts uh, and it's easy. It's just pictures and you like pictures and stuff. Um, so uh, I, so I actually probably have the most interaction with, uh, with my readers through my website though, and, and through them commenting on the blog and, uh, then writing to me individually through an email that I have on the web. So I, so I have a frequently asked questions page on the website. Uh, I, I try to put as much information that kids want to know on the website as possible. Uh, but that's probably the way that I can have the most sort of in-depth interaction with kids. Uh, they, there are some, some wikis and some uh, fan sites, uh, and uh, I will occasionally go on and snoop around on those um, just to see what people are thinking about things but uh, uh so th there's there's um i mean compared to being a screenwriter there's you uh, like as a screenwriter you 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 never had any interaction with, with fans per se uh where and so i i've i've been kind of shocked by how much uh interaction i do get with with uh, kids who who read uh, and 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 it can come in through you know it can come in through twitter it can come in through Goodreads, there, there's, you know, there, there are all these different avenues. And, and, and what, what also is interesting is the number of kids I hear from from other countries. And, uh, and a lot of them, I think, they don't have as many avenues to get to me. So I'll hear from a lot more kids from Iran over uh, Instagram than I will through my website. Well, you know, you mentioned writing screenplays, and we've had a lot of writers who have had books turned into uh, movies, but I was wondering, you, you know, what, what your experience was writing directly uh, for Hollywood. Um, you know, I I did it when I was younger, uh, and uh, Hollywood was, uh, you know, it was fun. Uh, I, I started writing <laughs> kickboxing movies, you know, uh, and... Uh, Showdown. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know... And, and it was fun to like write these sort of, uh, you know, uh, movies that were shooting for, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in a couple of days. And, but they were just cranking these things out. Um, and, and, and then as I, you know, I got into the, the studio system, uh, it was fun to write, but it, but it actually was kind of ultimately frustrating because so many projects just fall apart in Hollywood. And, uh, so when the time came to write a book, uh, Again, when I actually had a book contract, uh, there, there's sort of a, a, a you know thing my publisher still likes to remind me of that that uh, you know I turned in the final draft of Belly Up, and they're like, okay, it'll come out in six months, and I was like, yeah, but when everything goes wrong, I'll understand, and they're like, no, 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 nothing's <laughs> gonna go wrong. I was like, yeah, ah, uh, I've heard that a million times, right? But but the books come out, and that's just that's fantastic, and so the 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 mindset of writing something that you know is absolutely going to come out as opposed to writing something you think has like a one in 10 <laughs> chance of coming out of getting made, uh, and even less chance than that of coming out or coming out the way that you envisioned it. Uh, it, it it's so much, it, I, you know, I, I know that different people have different, uh, journeys in the film business, but my journey in the film business, while I actually enjoyed it, I, I certainly am enjoying uh, writing novels more because I, I just love the idea that whatever I write basically is going to 
end up in a book in, in, mm-hmm. in the way that I envisioned it. How long does it take you to get one, one completed? Uh, it is uh, about, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of brainstorming and outlining and researching before I sit down. So that whole process is I'm really playing around with, the, the, with a book idea for at least a year before I do it. And then uh, once I've got an outline I like, it's probably somewhere between three and six months to do the first draft. Uh, and then there'll be probably another eight to ten drafts over the ensuing year. Wow, that's quite the uh, quite the process. So, how do people get a hold of you again? What's your website so we can? Uh... So, the website is just StuartGibbs.com. Fantastic. We'll have that up on ours as well. Oh, great. Yeah, um, yeah, and and you know, like I said, there are frequently asked questions there. There's, there, I try to. Sometimes I have blog posts where I try to address questions that I get a lot uh, more in depth. And uh, if people still can't find the answers they want, there is an email address at the bottom of the fact page. Yeah, if they can't figure it out and too bad <laughs> well and, and so i guess you stay away from things like covid and and all these things going on too any any stressful thing going on around you don't touch that do you yeah well you know right when covid first started my re- you know it was very common for readers to say are you going to do something set during covid but that was like the seminal event of their entire lives right and and i you know it was a weird thing to kind of be saying to kids Look, I know you think this is going to be the most important thing, but but in twenty years you're going to look back and be like, oh yeah, that happened, right? Like, uh, I mean, hopefully there won't be another pandemic, or you know, I, sometimes there is something that just. I, I, certainly not to say that COVID wasn't disruptive, but I didn't want to write a book about it because I thought, oh, you know, if I, if I make a spy school happen during the time of COVID, by the time the book comes out, like theoretically, the world will have gotten somewhere closer to normal. And maybe the last thing a kid's going to want to do is read about COVID or something. So, so I do try to skate around like the major uh, issues of the day. I do take on global or climate change because that's, that's not going away anytime soon. And, and I, and I think, or, or, or environmental impacts of things. And, and I, I do try to make, uh, I, I don't, I don't shy away from that stuff, but, but something that I think is, is, is kind of a, 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 a temporary issue. Um, I, it, it just, I, I, you know, I don't try to chase that any more than I try to, you know, work Minecraft into a story. Just, it'll be gone some point. Yeah, sort of like a trend, right? It kind of, it's yeah, something that can right. go, stuff like yeah. that. Wow. Yeah. COVID, that crazy trend. Yeah. You know, remember, <laughs> remember we all had it? <laughs> we all had COVID hair. Come on. It was all that way, you know. I don't know. Um, well, that's, that's it's fascinating, actually, to hear about this type of writing and stuff. What, what's the favorite thing about writing books like this for you? Um, you know, given that I did not know how much interaction there would be with, with my readers, uh, that's, that's really it. I, I think I, it is, um, I am getting, uh, like the festival circuit is starting back up again. And, and, uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm about to go off to one of my favorite, uh, teen book festivals and, uh, and it's just, it's so great to be, to see so many kids who are excited about reading, uh, who who are excited to uh, meet authors. They don't have to be excited to meet me. It's just any author they want. It's great to actually – oh, it's actually the other thing is that I've managed to create this great community of of uh, other middle grade and YA authors and uh, that we've all become very good friends over the years. And uh, I think we all really did help each other through the pandemic, through through Zooms and, and being there for each other. But but it, they're always a great resource. It's always great to get to see them. Uh, and um, uh, it, it, so, uh, yeah, so between getting to know the readers and getting to know other authors, those are sort of the, 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 the great two things about this job. Fantastic. Okay, so now the, the Spy School, the graphic novel, is, is out now. I guess it's, it is, and you've got a um, another um, one of your um, Charlie Thorne coming out. Yes. I guess what that's yes. June first. Yes. You said Charlie Charlie Thorne and the Curse of Cleopatra is out. Uh, I believe it's June sixth or seventh. Yeah. Wow, Curse of Cleopatra. Yes, yeah, yeah. So Charlie is always on the on the trail of uh, uh, things that the greatest uh, thinkers from throughout history have discovered and hidden away because uh, they're too dangerous to trust humanity with. And, and uh, my original thoughts on this, the first book involved Einstein, the second one involved Darwin, and I did really want to put 
a, a woman in there. And I was thinking about Marie Curie or, or, or Jane Goodall or one of the, but, but I, I, I read Stacey Schiff's amazing uh, biography of Cleopatra, which, you know, basically posits that Cleopatra may have been the most educated woman of all time at her time and and uh and certainly was a great leader of egypt and 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 spoke uh at least seven languages and was just sort of all around brilliant and so i i thought like that and and she lived at the intersection of of the decline of the the egyptian empire and the greek empire and the rise of the roman empire there was just so much great stuff to write about uh, so so charlie's off to um find something that cleopatra hid away that's pretty interesting. I think that would be a very, very good book. That sounds good. Wow. I, I, uh, I hope it is. I, it's, I, I feel like it's pretty good so far. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's cool. Well, uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, again, the book, Spy School, the graphic novel. And our guest is the author of all these spy, spy school books, Stuart Gibbs. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank all of you guys for, for being uh, such great hosts. Uh, I, I really appreciate getting to talk with you, and uh, I've had, it's, been, it's been really fun. Thanks, Stuart. Thanks. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 